It's good to be together. I appreciate the opportunity to be together. Thanks also for the team that put together the Christmas trees. Um, actually, they look great. Um, last week, we were a family that was uh, worshiping together with you virtually, and they look really nice in terms of bookends on the screen up top. So thanks for the tech team as well. Um, I do have a little tech thing I'm going to try here at the beginning. I hope it works out, but um, we'll see how it goes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play something real quick. Um, I hope everybody can hear it, uh, but it, it won't matter. As soon as you hear it from the beginning, you'll kind of understand. So uh, last month, um, one of my favorites, Alex Trebek, passed away. Among the many things for which the show Jeopardy was famous for was this think music. Played on the game show when the contestants were during the final Jeopardy. And it was that basically um, music that they would have as they were working on their answer. Now, if you think about it, when there's a game show and you only have uh, 30 seconds left, most game shows, what do they do? They put a timer on. And you know how that feels. It's ticking down, it's ticking down. There's just a sense of, but Merv Griffin, the creator of Jeopardy, he actually composed that well-known think music. Uh, it's about played at 136 beats per minute, 17 measures long, and includes that bum bum at the end, which makes it exactly 30 seconds long. And it's just good for timing the round and giving a sense that something's gonna happen. Now, what are the, what are the contestants supposed to do during that 30 seconds? What is, the, what is their main job? Right. Think and write, to think something, right? And so rather than just for the next 30 seconds, that's what we're gonna do for about the next 30 minutes. We're gonna think, maybe some of you may write some things down, but there'll be no think music playing while we do it. For some of you, unfortunately, because I played that music, it's probably gonna be playing in the back of your heads and it may come to mind later, and that's okay. But for us, what is it that we're gonna be thinking about today? We're gonna to be thinking about our own final question. We're gonna be thinking about our answer to what we consider life's most important final question. And the question is, for what are we most thankful to God? For what are we most thankful to God? Now, we just came off of Thanksgiving, right? And Thanksgiving, many of us have traditions where we go around and we share things that we're thankful for. We thank God for our health, our family, our friends, our possessions, whatever it is, you know, and those are all great things. But if I forced you to rank the things in your life, for which you're most thankful. Your answer to that final question is gonna reveal a lot about your heart. Last week, Pastor Brian reminded us during this Advent season to position ourselves so we can hear from God like Simeon did. And when we hear from God, it helps us to understand and sort through things and to be able to understand what's most important. He encouraged us to slow down and listen to God and his word and his Holy Spirit. And the word last week was listen. And the word this week is wait. But ironically, we're gonna see the, how they go together. Because often when we're waiting, we're listening. And we're gonna see an example today of a lady. Her name was Anna, and we're gonna hear her story and understand what is it that she would have as her final answer. So we're gonna look at her life and to see her answer, the thing that she was most thankful for to God was Jesus, a person whom she'd been waiting her whole life. You could say that she's the man that, she's been, that he's been, she's been waiting for her whole life. And it confirmed to her when she did meet him that, it was, that he was worth the wait. And that's what I hope that by the end of our time today that you'll see that he's worth the wait. 
So please turn with me if, with your Bible or your Bible app. We're going to look at Anna's encounter with Jesus as found in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. We're going to walk through these verses together to understand what they're saying, and then we'll think together, again, think with the think music, about how Anna's story helps us in our lives. So starting in verse 36, it says, There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, which would be Mary, Jesus, and Joseph, at that very moment she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So let's kind of walk through these verses. We'll point out a couple things, and then we'll see how we can apply them to our lives. Now in verse 36, it says she was a prophet. Other translations or versions talk about her being a prophetess. It's just the female version of that. A prophet or a prophetess is someone who prophesies. I know that seems kind of obvious, but what that means is someone who speaks or teaches God's truth to other people. She was someone who listened to God's word and God's spirit, a mark of maturity that Pastor Brian mentioned last week, last week, but she knew God's word so well that she could basically bring it off the top of her head and, and be able to share it with other people. Now, the next thing we see about her in verse 36 is that we see both her gender and her family history. She's referred to as the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. Now, as for family history, let's start with that first. It's important to understand some Old Testament history to appreciate the significance of her being from that tribe, especially as compared to last week when we looked at Simeon, he was actually from the tribe of Levi. Now, the, the, the nation of Israel had been together for a long time but unfortunately, after the reign of King Solomon in the 10th century, the Jewish nation became divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Levi was considered part of the southern kingdom, and Asher was considered part of the northern kingdom. And then sadly, about two centuries later, the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, and we don't hear about them ever again in the rest of the Old Testament. Now, what's great is here in the New Testament, we hear about one of the tribes in, the, in that kingdom, Asher. The prophetess Anna is mentioned. Likely her family was part of this small group of people who were from the northern kingdom who made their way all the way back to Jerusalem and settled there, and then that's where we see her at the temple. Now what we see about these shared longings that both he had and she had, Simeon had and Anna had, is they both wanted the coming of the Messiah. And so we see the kingdoms that were before, that were apart, are brought together by the shared longing for the coming of Jesus. Anna from the north, Simeon from the south. At that moment, there was a wholeness, a unity that was brought for the Jewish people in which the long-awaited Messiah was received and recognized by both sides. The divide was gone that had occurred centuries before. Jesus was the one bringing them back together. Likewise, we see the significance of the genders of Simeon and Anna. Interestingly, no other tribe in, of Israel is represented in Scripture by a woman except here with Anna, representing the tribe of Asher. So we see in her story and in Simeon's story how Jesus is the one who unifies both men and women together. There's no gender separation. It's a moment of wholeness for humanity, uniting men and women in our shared longing for God's grand plan of redemption through this long-awaited Messiah. We continue in verse 36 and move on to verse 37 and learn about her life history. A couple snippets there. We learn that she was very old, and we learn a couple of major events, her wedding, her husband's passing, and what she's been up to since then. 
Specifically, we read how she had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. We say it says that she was old. In fact, they use the word very old. Um, the very old term here is kind of, we, we have a nice little term in our, in our language that says he's quite advanced in years, right? Um, but ironically, it was used in the previous chapter when talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, this couple who actually were the parents of John the Baptist. They were also quite up there in years. Now, when we say we're quite up there in years, what do we mean exactly? Um, Bob Hope used to put it this way, is when the candles on your birthday cake would cost more than the cake. <laughs> or it's a good idea to have a fire extinguisher nearby when we begin to sing. <laughs> or as George Burns used to say, when she was a girl, the Dead Sea was just sick. <laughs> so, all kidding about age aside, what we can say is that she has experienced a lot in her personal life, and in, just in, in life in general, the that, that things that have gone by her during those 84 years. In her personal life, she lost her husband at an early age, and that was the point in her life where most likely she lost her parents. She most likely lost all the siblings that she had. She was at that point in her life where more of her friends had passed away than were still living. So some people would say that maybe she didn't have a lot to look forward to, but we'll see that she did. In her lifetime here on Earth, a lot had happened in the world that she lived in. There was war, conquest, oppression, and in every Jewish heart like hers, there was just this yearning for a national deliverance by a promised Messiah. They had been through hard times, and it was not easy. So in continuing in verse 37, we see how she spent her time. It says how Anna never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now this worshiping that she was doing um, wasn't just some of the singing we do here or things like that, but it really talked about serving, offering her time and talents to those at the temple, helping people get connected with God in different ways of the ceremonies that were appropriate for that time. The fasting she was doing refers to a private fast, one where you don't tell anybody what you were doing. Jesus often talked, taught about that, where you would voluntarily, for periods of time, abstain from eating food to draw closer to God, just get this greater sense of dependence on him. The praying she was doing, that's something we want to unpack a little bit, was this type of prayer where we express a particular need to God and ask him really earnestly to help, help meet it. This type of prayer we often refer to as supplication, that is praying for something specifically that you feel a need or a want for. I want us to just stop and think, in your life, what are those things that you've really prayed to God that you really want, you wanted most? that just was something that was deep in your heart that you're waiting for. For Phyllis and I in our lives, we've actually had many of those things. Um, one of the hard ones that comes to mind is uh, we really had a desire for another biological child when we were experiencing some secondary infertility. That was really hard. Um, other prayers that we prayed like this have been for God to work deeply in the hearts of people that are very close to us when we've seen sad things happen in their lives. And then when I was just three and a half years old, um, I really wanted a red fire truck. <laughs> and you know what I got? A baby sister, <laughs> which was good too. But So, I mean, we all have those things based upon where we're at in our lives where we just really want them like more than anything else. And that's where she was at. This type of prayer that Anna had was very heartfelt. It came out of a deep sense of personal need, a strong sense of just wanting. And, and 
Something also had a sense of urgency to it, like you couldn't wait for it to happen. And we finish out our passage here with Anna's encounter with Jesus and his family. And I love this because, you know, it's hard to envision kind of what happened. So Brian finished up talking about Simeon and all the things Simeon did. And then right on the heels, these verses pop up. And it says that she came up to them, referring to Mary, Jesus, and Joseph. She came up to them, and it feels like at that very moment, it's almost like she was waiting alongside. You know, it's almost like when you're in a receiving line at a wedding or something like that, and it's kind of like your turn. You're kind of waiting to talk to somebody. Um, and then you finally get up there. And what, what do you think the first thing that she probably did when she, when she saw the baby? I mean, what, is, what does any woman want to do when they see a baby? Hold it, right? Now, it doesn't tell us whether she did or didn't, but I'm... I don't know, I'm pretty confident that she has to hold the baby, okay? Now, the baby at this point in time is roughly about six weeks old, okay? So she came up to them, and you can vision her waiting for her turn. She gets up there, and she holds the baby. Now, at six weeks of age, it's very fascinating. Um, babies are actually able to turn their heads towards sounds, and the thing that they love doing most at six weeks of age is looking at faces. That's what they like to do. So you can imagine, and the other thing they can do at six weeks, that they, and it's not because they have gas or anything like that, but they can actually legitimately smile, okay? So imagine her picking up this baby, Jesus looking at her and smiling, because she, she, he realizes that he is the one that she's been waiting for. And you can imagine what this causes inside her heart. Thank you. We read how she gave thanks to God. The word you hear for giving thanks is, is one that means to declare something in honor of somebody. He's here. He's here to celebrate their praises. It reminds me a little bit of, of if you remember the movie Elf, when Buddy learns that Santa's coming the next day to the department store. He says, Santa, Santa's coming. I know him. Right? So there's just an excitement that Buddy couldn't keep inside. And you can imagine the excitement that Anna had. It was just uncontrollable at that point in time. Something that she had been waiting for 84 years finally arrives. And verse 38 ends with saying, what did she do after that encounter? It says she was speaking about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the part about Jesus being worth the wait. Now, did you ever meet somebody famous? In fact, we'll take a minute here. Uh, not a minute, but... Share with somebody next to you, I mean, as best we can with masks on or at home. I mean, did you ever meet any, like, who's the most famous person you met? Maybe you never met anybody famous before, but did anybody you know meet somebody famous, and did they tell you about it? Maybe more times than you'd like to hear, okay? So maybe take a minute, think about somebody famous you met or somebody else famous that they met, that they told you about. <laughs> And it's okay if you've never met anybody famous, all right? There's, 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 you're not missing out here. But I'm sure we all have people who told us about it, right? <laughs> okay. As you can imagine, people go on and on, right? Once you start the story, you can't stop. And many of you maybe have heard the story many times. So you can imagine what Anna was doing here. She was going around and telling everyone she knew that had been waiting like her for his coming, like, he's here, I saw him, he's here, I saw him, I held him, he smiled at me, right? But what she realized is not only is Jesus here, but he's worth the wait, but she says that he's the redeemer. 
the one who came to redeem. Now this redemption here refers to what Jesus was going to do for her as a payment for her sin. Although at that time in Israel's history, those in Jerusalem under the rule of the Roman Empire, redemption for most of them was, they were thinking it was some sort of political thing where they were going to be freed as captives. But this was a redemption of a higher type, one that was in our hearts, the redemption of our souls. That's what Jesus was coming to do for her. It was a redemption that would pay the ransom price for her sin and that she could look forward to being restored with God. Early in Luke chapter 1, we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zachariah used the same word about redemption and redeeming when he talked about God and who he is. He says in verse 67 and 68 of chapter 1, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has visited and redeemed his people. The Lord redeeming his people is the same word Anna used here, and it's a sense of liberation that comes when you're released from bondage. In our case, we're released from the bondage of sin in our lives. Anna realized that all of her religious service, activity, devotion were not enough to pay the price, that without this Jesus, her Messiah, her Savior, there would be no redemption for her. Her worshiping night and day, fasting often, praying was not enough to redeem or release her from her sin. She needed someone to pay that price for her. That son was the man who she'd been waiting for her whole life. That was Jesus. The writer of Hebrews describes redemption through Jesus' blood in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, saying, but when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made by hands and is part of creation. He did not enter by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood and secured for us the eternal redemption. Jesus secured the eternal redemption for Anna. He secured it for Zachariah and Elizabeth. And he secured it for us all. Jesus was for them and is for us still worth the wait. So as we looked at these verses, what are some things that we can glean from them? How does this story help us in our lives? There's three aspects I just want us to delve in deeper together for us to grow closer to God and to each other. First and foremost, as I've said many times, he's worth the wait. That's the big idea. Jesus is worth the wait. Now for those of us, maybe who are watching online or here today, and you've never been redeemed, may today be the day the Holy Spirit opens your eyes that you see the need to be redeemed and shows you that Jesus is your redeemer. Romans 10, 13 says to us, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, our Redeemer, will be saved. Our prayer for you is that you will not go forward for the rest of your life on your own, struggling, waiting, but that you will live by faith in the Son of God, Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you. Now, for those of us who have been redeemed and are living by faith, may today be the day that we begin to increase our longing for him to come back. The longings we have seen in him since we're living on the other side of Jesus' life are ones that only can be satisfied when we see him. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, he says, but our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly await what? A savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Now, I know for me, this Advent, despite all that's happening around me, I'm more focused on seeing this virus come to an end than I am about my Savior coming back. If you ask me what the greatest thing I could imagine right now, too often what comes to my mind is going back to the way my life used to be. 
or where things are right now, the greatest thing that would be to have everybody vaccinated and let's move on and get back to some sort of normal. That's as far as I'm seeing too often. I don't see Jesus coming back anytime soon because it's not forefront in my mind. Anna never let it lose focus in her mind. But, as I, but what I noticed about her is what she did is when she worshiped, when she fasted, when she prayed, when she began to connect with God and look to Jesus, she was reminded of her Redeemer. And that's what Advent allows us to do, is to look to Him. And again, when we look to Him, what is our response? It's the same as hers. You just realize how much you love Him and how His coming again would be the greatest thing that you could ever imagine. Jesus is never intended to be some sort of weekend religious topic of my life or something that occasionally interrupts me when I have a hard time. Like Anne, I want Jesus to be the one whom I talk about, think about, and serve all day long. Advent's a great time not just to look back at Jesus coming to earth to redeem us, but to look forward to being with him again together. However, we know he hasn't come yet, right? We're reminded in 2 Peter 3, 9 that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, what? He's patient with you. Why? Why hasn't he come yet? Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In addition to knowing that he's worth it, there's another aspect of the story of Anna that is for us to learn how to wait in the meantime. Now, waiting is not something I'm a very good example of. Um, We won't get into all those details. We don't have the time. Um, But her waiting is one we can look at as a very good example. How did that happen? How was she sustained by God? How did she praise him for what she experienced in her life over a long period of time? Because if you think about it, I mean, what happened to her was she came from a place where pretty much their tribe got wiped out almost. She was a little bit that was left, came back to Jerusalem, and then she gets married and her husband dies early. And she really has a hard life. Doesn't have much in the way of means, doesn't have much in the way of uh, an extended things. But we see that she had stories to tell of how God kept her strong in her faith, diligent in her service, and full of joy looking forward to his coming. So how do we, how do we wait? What do we learn from her? One of the things I've learned during this pandemic is that how much harder it is for me to wait when something is uncertain or when it's gonna end or when it's gonna happen. I don't know, does anybody else feel that? Like, if you know it's gonna happen in a week, in a month, in three, like, you can hang in there. But when we don't know exactly when it's gonna happen, it gets harder. And so that's what's hard about this whole thing. We're reminded in 2 Peter 3, 10, that next verse, it says, but the day of the Lord will come like a what? Like a thief, which means you don't know when he's coming. So it's harder sometimes to wait when it's ambiguous. And that's what I admire so much about Anna is that she didn't know that that was the day. Every day she'd come to the temple, is today gonna be the day? Is today gonna be the day? Is today gonna be the day? She didn't know exactly when it would be, but she found her hope in him. And this hope led her to remain faithful in the waiting, to be diligent in her longing, to be content with the unknown. I learned from her how to be content with the unknown. But how did she do this? Brian talked a little bit about last week. Like Anna, we can become content with the unknown when we're comfortable and know well the person who holds the unknown in his hands. And what happens is as we posture ourselves and listen to God while we wait and we hear from him, 
one of the things he will do is he will remind us of things that we've learned in his word. For example, I, I think about what, what scriptures might God be bringing to Anna's mind that she had learned. One might be Psalm 33, verses 20 and 22, where we read, we will wait in hope for the Lord. He is our hope and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. It wasn't through some sort of self-protection or self-preservation, but by waiting in the Lord, they would be happy and have joy in life. Another example, maybe God reminded her of was one that we're very familiar with. It's the moniker of our football team here in this town, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait, hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like what? Eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. You can imagine as she got older in life, how important that was for her. It wasn't through self-care or times away or vacations, but through waiting in the Lord that she didn't grow weary. She knew God had a plan and it was going to be worked out. And we need to see that God has a plan that's going to be worked out in our lives. We don't always see or understand the vastness of God's knowledge or his ability to care for his creation. Sometimes we think he isn't moving at all. We don't see anything happening. But God calls us to be strong and wait on him and trusting that his ways are best. So in addition to knowing that he's worth it and learning how to wait in the meantime, there's one other aspect of Anna's story from which we can learn about the waiting. And that is God does not intend us to wait alone. He wants us to wait together on him. We see right after she held the baby, she ran around and spoke to the, to the about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel, to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was part of a community of faith. There were others in her life, like her, who were looking forward to the same thing she was, the Redeemer. She was a source of encouragement to them, and very likely during her life as a widow for so many years, many of them had rallied around her and sustained her and helped her maybe with practical needs, with emotional needs, with spiritual needs. She was part of a community of faith who cared deeply for one another. We're not meant to wait alone. We're reminded in Hebrews 10.25 of not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other while we wait. The encouraging one another in this passage in Hebrews 10 refers to calling on each other at different times for comfort and for challenge. So I want you to think, who are those people in your life from your community of faith that are calling on you, comforting you, challenging you? We do this at our church in a variety of ways. We've done it most recently with the Morente family. We leaned in with them. We continue to support them. But it's, it's contacting each other. It's sending a text. It's making a call. It's letting somebody know you're thinking of each other. And you can imagine there was times Anna was probably the one like, Nobody's really called me in a week. Nobody stopped. They know where I'm at. I'm at the temple every day. They can find me there, you know. But instead, God turned her attention to serving others and to worshiping and praising him. And she was that person who took initiative to reach out to others. So let's not be the person waiting and feeling sad for ourselves. Let's be proactive and reach out to each other. And let's be fair. During this pandemic, it's harder. Um, it's harder practically. And it's also harder just with the spectrum of viewpoints on how we're handling things in the pandemic. Um, we just feel more inclined to be confused and critical of each other than to be understanding and appreciative. Um, so let's, let's guard ourselves. Let's be diligent to guard ourselves against misunderstanding, confusion, and let's see Anna as that reminder that we're united in what matters most, 
our faith in our Redeemer and in His coming again. So we look at the thing that binds us together rather than differences that pull us apart. We can wait more effectively together. Now as we're done looking at Anna's story, we're ready to look at her answer to life's final question. I think we all know for what she was most thankful to God. Let me read it again in verse 39. It said, she, Anna, gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, Jesus. She was most thankful for Jesus to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was most thankful to God for Jesus, her Redeemer, the one she'd been waiting for her whole life. He made all the difference. He was worth the wait for her. And again, our hope and prayer is that each of us now will feel the same way during this Advent season as she did, that he is worth the wait. And as we wait, we hope that we learn during this story as well how to wait and how to wait together with our friends and family here in the community of faith. Our prayer is that God will do this in our lives. Let's pray together. Dear God, I thank you for Anna and her small little story, but that has so much to say to us. Lord, I thank you that I have this community of faith here who waits with me. Lord, help me to be more appreciative of them. Lord, help me to lean into you more as I wait for things. Help us all to lean into you. And then lastly, help us just to look to Jesus, both of what he did when he came, as well as what he has in store for us in heaven. In your name, amen.